Well, we now come to another psalm this summer, Psalm 30. And I think perhaps I said this when we started these out, that the, the psalms that are chosen this summer are, are a bit of, uh, of a little uh, bit of my heart. They're some of my favorites. And so I, I pray and I hope that my joy and my favor in these psalms comes through as, as, as I preach these things and as the, the Holy Spirit works in my heart to communicate these joyous psalms to you. So, if you're able, please rise and we'll read God's Word from Psalm 30 together. And at the conclusion, I will say this is the reading of God's Word and we will say thanks be to God. So, hear the reading of God's Word from Psalm 130. I will extol you, O Lord, for you have drawn me up and have not let my foes rejoice over me. O Lord, my God, I cried to you for help and you have healed me. O Lord, you have brought up my soul from Sheol You restored me to life from among those who go down to the pit. Sing praises to the Lord, O you His saints, and give thanks to His holy name. For His anger is but for a moment, and His favor is for a lifetime. Weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes with the morning. As for me, I said in my prosperity, I shall never be moved. By Your favor, O Lord, You made my mountain stand strong. You hid Your face. I was dismayed. To you, O Lord, I cry, and to the Lord I plead for mercy. What profit is there in my death? If I go down to the pit, will the dust praise you? Will it tell of your faithfulness? Hear, O Lord, and be merciful to me. O Lord, be my helper. You have turned for, you have turned for me my mourning into dancing. You have loosed my sackcloth and clothed me with gladness, that my glory may sing your praise and not be silent. O Lord, my God, I will give you thanks. Thanks to you forever. The reading of God's Word. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Lord, You have promised that Your Word would stand firm and true forever. So Lord, again, we pray that You would be faithful to Your promises. That You would cause Your Word to be firm and true in our lives. To cause it to stand. To stand as the thing that guides us and moves us to righteousness. So Lord, I pray that You would guide my words. Carry them by the power of the Holy Spirit to these lives, these hearts today. Mold us. Make us more like Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Psalm 30, a song of daring praise of King David. David has found himself running for his life. He has found himself nearly and practically dead from disease. He is hidden in caves. And even in those caves, he has snuck up on his avenger and cut off pieces of clothing. If you remember that story, he was known to slay giants. He has murdered. He has been unfaithful. He has been faithful. He is a poet. He is a warrior. He is a king. He was a man after God's own heart, and he was the king of Israel. He was a type of king that looked forward to another type of king. For David in the Scripture and for us is just that. He's a a type. A type of king that looks forward to a true king. A king that David could never be. David wrote this psalm, Psalm 30, as he looked back upon his life and recognized the merciful favor of the Lord. For David had seen and experienced all sorts of of things. He has seen the highs and he has seen the lows of life. He has been raised up and he has been raised down. He has been exalted 
and he's been exposed. And through these times, he dared to praise the Lord. And so it is with much praise that David looks not to himself, but he looks to the true king. He looks upon the temple, and he sees what the temple represents. For Psalm 30, if you see in your editor's notes there, Psalm 30 is a psalm for the dedication of the temple. David wrote this song to, as they entered into the temple to worship their Lord. So he looks upon the temple, and he sees what the temple represents. And so again, a little bit of Old Testament history for you. The temple represents the very presence of the Lord among the people of God. It's a permanent place of God's residence in their midst, literally in the house next door. So just as David is a type of king that looks forward to a true king, the temple is a type that looks forward to the true presence of the Lord. An eternal present, an ever-present presence of the Lord with and for His people. And so David pens this psalm and he sees the merciful faithfulness, faithfulness of the Lord from the depths of woe to the heights of glory. And David continues to give daring acts of praise, whether in the depths of woe or the heights of glory. And so I was thinking this week, what does it mean to be daring? Have we, have we ever thought about that word before? What does it mean to be daring? Some of us, that scares us to death. We don't like to be daring. We like things just the way they are. We don't like to change. We, we like to stay in our own little boxes. Some of us have an easier time with courage and daring than others. What makes someone like Evil Knievel, if you don't know who Evil Knievel is, there's really not too many young people. I think many in this room know who that is. Go on YouTube Evil Knievel and you'll see all kinds of crazy stuff of him jumping with a Harley Davidson over buses and canyons and fountains. Sometimes he clears them. Sometimes he doesn't. What makes Max Verstappen or Lewis Hamilton able to climb into a very small Formula One car that goes like 250 miles an hour around curves with other guys doing exactly the same thing? What gives guys, people, this kind of courage? What makes others so easily able to step out in business ventures? Is it reckless? Is it irresponsible? There are many arguments for and against being an F1 driver, a stunt guy, or entrepreneur. But have you ever thought about King David as being daring? As one with brazen courage? Perhaps you have read the story of David and Goliath, and we can say yes, he is one of brazen courage to stand up to this giant when nobody else would, even as a young boy. We see how He has done these types of things throughout His life. And we see how the, the Lord was praised and glorified in and through David in these moments. But then, just as fearless and, and courageous as He was on the battlefield, He was the opposite when it came to lust and faithfulness. For just as there are famous stories of David's triumph, there are also famous stories of His exposure and His brokenness and His sin. However, even in these moments, David offered up daring acts of praise. It seems to me then this is what David is doing in Psalm 30. And Psalm 30 then is a classic example of a psalm of thanksgiving slash psalm of praise. It's an individual psalm. Meant to draw the people of God into a better understanding of who God is. And so that's what the goal is for this morning. 
An individual psalm given to you to draw you into the presence of the Lord, to help us understand better who God is, the very character, the very nature of God. The purpose of the psalm is to give you, an individual, a voice. Not only you as an individual a voice, but you as an individual among other individuals, a body of Christ, a corporate voice. So as an individual, we join with the corporate. This is what David is trying to do. This is what the psalms are able to do. The interesting thing about this particular psalm is that it's a reflection of the difficult times that David had experienced. The difficult times where David had nothing left in the tank but to turn to the Lord. You see, this psalm really is about a time when David was very ill and perhaps even near to death, and he still has the daring ability to praise his God. But is it really difficult to praise the Lord in hard times? I would argue, if you would allow me, I would argue that it's easier to pray, it's easier to lean into the Lord when things are hard because we recognize that, okay, I need God here and now. I have to have something because in myself I can't accomplish what I need to accomplish. I can't do it on my own, so Lord, I need your help. It's more difficult, I would argue, to lean into the Lord when things are clicking and things are going right. When, when the family's good, when school's good, when work's good, when church is good, boom, boom, boom. And what do we need God for? So what do I pray for? What do I praise God for? And I don't need Him. Because I obviously have everything figured out and everything's good and grand. And yet David, in both scenarios, offers up daring acts of praise. David is doing both here in Psalm 30. He acknowledges both the good times and the bad. And this psalm then gives us a peek behind the curtain and allows us the people of the Lord. It allows us to see the steadfast mercy of the Lord in all things, good and bad things. It's then with this understanding of the Lord's mercy that then we too are able to offer up daring acts of praise in all things. So what are the things that David does? How how does he lift up his praise? What, what are the things that David gives the Lord praise for? And so we, as we enter into this psalm again, I ask a question of you. What are those things? What is he praising the Lord for? In order to answer that question, I'm going to ask you another question. The question is very simply this. Have you ever been really thirsty? I made an grievous error last week when it was like 98 degrees outside. And uh, I think it was probably Monday afternoon, my day off, and I determined I was going to go for a run. Now, some of you may think, well, that was your grievous error. First of all, you decided to go for a run. However, the grievous error was not that I fact that I went for a run, but I fact that I went for a run at like 2 o'clock in the afternoon when it was 98 degrees outside. I should have thought this through a little bit better, but I didn't. I made it about a mile and a half, and I just was done. I couldn't go anymore. I had to walk. Usually I can run three to four miles without too much effort. But this particular day last week, I just couldn't go anymore. I didn't bring any water with me. Second grievous error, right? It's 100 degrees outside, and I thought I could just muscle through. But in that moment, I couldn't think of anything other than how badly I wanted a drink of water. That's all I wanted. My, my tongue was on the top of my mouth, and it's that pasty, yucky feeling. You know what I'm talking about? I was done. I did make it home. I didn't have to call anybody to come pick me up. But when you're parched, 
all you can think of is a drink of water. It's in those moments when you feel like you're just at the bottom. In verse 1, David praises the Lord for drawing him up. The image that David gives us in verse 1 is nearly identical to the image that I just gave to you about my run this past week. Except David's was worse. (laughs) The image that David recalls is while he's running from his foes and the perils of death, there was an ever-present reality of illness. He was done. He was spent. And it wasn't just enemies, but it was his own body that was beginning to fail with him. And we see then in verses 2, 3, and 9 where this is actually what David's talking about. How his body is failing, about how he's on his deathbed. The illness has him gasping for dear life. David, however, in this moment of trial, he cries out to the Lord for healing. And the image that David then provides us is that the Lord draws him up. Now, maybe you're a more astute Bible reader than I am, but what is that image of drawing up? What does David mean by that? Well, maybe you are, again, an astute reader and realize that indoor plumbing probably wasn't around in the wilderness where David was wandering. So he had to do something like go to a well. And he had to go to a deep well, and they had to actually work at getting their water out of a well. And what do we call getting water out of a well? We call it drawing water. So David, in his thirst, in his parchment, in his inability to figure out how am I going to get from here to there, he says he cries out to the Lord, and the Lord draws him up like a fresh drink of water. The Lord provides this nourishment for him out of a deep well. The Lord has drawn him from the caverns of the earth, from the pit of the earth, and drawn him up and and to himself. It's not a difficult image to imagine King David penning these words, is it? It's, it's, It's not difficult for us to imagine King David calling to the Lord and feeling as if the Lord has indeed drawn him out of the earth like a pail of water. But is it just the voice of David that we hear in Psalm 30? For let us remember what the Psalms are. Let us remember what Scripture is. It's the Word of the Lord. So the voice that echoes, or the voice in the background, is not just that of David, but it's that of Jesus. It's that of Jesus being drawn from the caverns of the earth. The Lord drew him up out of the grave and draws him to himself. His cry was heard and he was drawn from the grave to life. David's words point to Jesus. Jesus points to David. David's cry was the cry of the king and the praise of King Jesus. And now it's that cry that echoes through history. But David points to something else for us as well. He points to the stark reality of our own existence. And that reality is found in verse 5. For his anger is but for a moment and his favor is for a lifetime. I want to be very clear with you this morning. This is an incredibly daring act of praise by David. David has just said the Lord has drawn him up from the pit and drawn him to himself. That in itself is is an act worthy of praise. But now David takes the gloves off of his own life and hits hard. And admits his faults. 
how many of us like to admit when we're wrong? None of us. It's not easy to admit when we've done wrong. Some of us, it's nearly impossible. Verse verse 5 tells us something about this. The Lord is angry. What is He angry about? The Lord is angry because of sin. David acknowledges the fact that the Lord is angry. There's no doubt about the Lord's anger, His righteous anger towards sin. And David recognizes this. The Lord is angry over our sins. But then David fully declares this reality. He has experienced and known the anger and the wrath of the Lord directed at Him due to His sin. The first step in a daring act of praise is to acknowledge the reality of our own sin. I would argue that we are truly unable to praise the Lord if we do not truly understand our own brokenness. But it takes a great deal of courage, doesn't it? It takes a great deal of courage to admit that we have hurt someone. Someone that we love. Someone that we care for. It takes a great bit of courage to admit that we have hurt someone that we don't know. That our sin has impacted the things around us and the people around us. It takes a great deal of courage to acknowledge our weakness and our brokenness. For in our sin, we do not sin against one another only. For we know that David has experienced this all too well, right? In Psalm 51, in that famous psalm where David has been exposed for his murder and his adultery, David, having been caught in these things, falls to his knees and says, Lord, against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. We are told to praise the Lord even in those moments. He says in verse 4 of Psalm 30, Sing praises to the Lord, O you His saints, even though at the same time He's acknowledging His own brokenness. He's saying to the people of God, You have seen my struggles. You know them well. I'm the King of Israel and you have seen everything about me. You know about me. You know about the things I have done and the things I have not done. You've seen my errors. And you've also seen how the Lord has drawn me up. And you have seen the wrath of the Lord against me and against you and this nation. But he says, praise his name. Praise his name, congregation of the people of Israel. Praise his name because you have seen this in my life. You have seen how, how broken I am and, and the, 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 the sin of David's life. And he says, I still praise. We still praise because of the Lord's mercy and kindness. Sing his praises because although he despises and is angry over our sin, he reaches into the caverns of the earth. He reached into the caverns of the grave and resurrected Jesus. His languor lasted three days. His favor and grace last an eternity. This is what David's saying in Psalm 30. His anger is for a moment, and that moment was three days in the grave. But in the resurrection, His mercy and His favor is from that moment to eternity. And so, praise the Lord for that, for our sins and our brokenness have been put into the grave. And His anger is spent on that. And His favor now, because of what Jesus has done, now lasts forever. This is a daring act of praise. In the middle of our brokenness, in the middle of our hurt and our sin, we have the ability to look into an empty grave and say, He's already done this. 
He's already spent His wrath and anger on Jesus and now I am free forever to be with the Lord. He has drawn me. He has drawn us to Himself. Friends, this morning, dare to praise the Lord in the hard moments because the Lord reached into the grave, into your grave, and has drawn you to Himself for an eternity. Then in verses 6-10, to 10, David becomes a little bit more specific. He becomes more specific about the actual sin that he's wrestling with. The actual brokenness that he is tormented with at this particular moment in time. We are aware of David's errors that are documented in Psalm 51. But here in these few verses, the veil of David's heart is, is, is peeled back just a bit more. And I believe it speaks more acutely to, to us and our world and our contemporary time, even more so than the, the sins of adultery or, or murder to, to us in this congregation and to our world and our country. For what is it the temptation that David confesses here in Psalm 30? Look at verse 6. David says, As for me, I said in my prosperity, I shall never be moved. What a very American thing to say by a Middle Eastern king. In my wealth, in my health, in my safe life, in my security to middle to upper class to really upper class, in David's case, in my power and in my control, in my ability to manage my day-to-day, nothing can touch me because I've got it all figured out. In that world, David's not challenged to love the Lord. We're not challenged to love the Lord. In this world, I'm not challenged to attend to creation. I'm not challenged to attend to my neighbor. I do not have to be moved from my current way of thinking, my current way of doing things, my current structures or security measures that I've very accurately and carefully constructed and put into place. I shall not be moved. I will add for myself, I don't want to be moved. It's a whole lot easier to stay where I'm at. It's a whole lot easier to live my life unchallenged by the things that the Lord has put before us. It's a, it's a whole lot easier to, to, be, to be unchallenged with the things of humility and compassion, care, and loving God and loving others. It's a daring act of faith and praise that David admits this sin. What is it specifically? After all, he's the king of Israel. Yet even as the king of Israel, a type of Christ, the Lord hid his face from David because David was saying, I don't need you, God. I don't need you. Because I'm rich. I'm powerful. I have everything at my fingertips. And I don't need you. And yet, the Lord hid his face from David. And David was dismayed. And so all of this no longer mattered to David. And so he pleads in confession to the Lord. He pleads in a grievous confession of his complacency, of his laziness, of his desire for wealth and comfort and security and control. In verse 8 he says, O Lord, to you I plead for mercy. He's not pleading for murder, mercy, 
murder, mercy. He's not pleading for adultery, mercy. He's pleading for the mercy of his heart, for his idolatry, for his lack of the need of the Lord. It's a daring act of courage to praise the Lord in our confession. Confession itself is a daring act of praise. Because confession yields our ways to the Lord's ways. It acknowledges two fundamental things. The first thing that it acknowledges is, that we've already said this morning, I'm not God. The second thing is, He is God. But in our lives, we strive so hard, don't we, to be autonomous little G-gods. Individual gods of our existence and control of each and every moment, detail, and outcome. It's a daring act of praise to admit where we have erred. For to confess means to say that we don't have it all together. That we haven't figured it out quite yet. This is why each and every week we come before the Lord with these same two acknowledgments. That He is God and I am not. We do this both as individuals and as a body of Christ. This is what Psalm 30 is doing also. An individual person confessing his sins intended to be sung by the body of God's people. To confess their sins. The tricky thing here is that it's difficult at best to lump our individual identity into our corporate identity. For we as individuals, we have our own struggles. David here is confessing his complacency and his lust for prosperity. He acknowledges before the Lord that he has sinned against God and the fact that he has not relied upon God wholeheartedly. This is intended for the entire body to confess this particular sin temptation. But the reality is, not every person in that congregation is tempted with the same thing. They're not tempted with this particular sin or struggle. Yet, as a body, they sing together. A daring act of praise to place our trust in the Lord, both as individuals and as a body of God's people. The cry of David and the people then is one of utter and complete dependence upon the Lord. In verse 10, the cry is for the Lord to hear their cries and to have mercy. And you hear the pleading and the yearning and the strain in his voice. Oh Lord, be my helper. For I recognize that this is the completely wrong way to live my life. Help me. It takes courage to admit our brokenness. It takes courage to be part of the body of Christ. It takes courage to confess both individually and corporately. And here, Scripture tells us to do just that. Why? Why confess? Why admit our faults and our brokenness? Or in other words, what is our confidence that when we do admit and when we do confess that we will not be shunned? We will not be admonished or made to feel guilty or worse to be shamed? How do I know that? How do, how do I know that that's, that's okay for me to do these things? David has been taken from the pit of Sheol, from the depths of despair by the mercy of the Lord. The Lord has listened to his cries and he has done wondrous things. And it says, you have turned my mourning 
into dancing. In confession, we mourn. But the Lord, through the sacrifice of the Lamb, we are set free. Remember that this is a psalm to dedicate the temple. To acknowledge the presence of the Lord in the midst of the people. Remember then what was going on in the temple. What took place there? The sacrifice of lambs was conducted by the priests. A bloody reminder of the brokenness and sin and evil of our lives. And in that moment, the priest would take the sacrifice and he would slay the sacrifice. And the blood of that sacrifice would be spread upon the people in a representation, an image of looking forward to the true sacrifice that would wash sins away. Remember also with me that when the Ark of the Covenant had been removed from the people, that there was terrible trials and disasters. And when David became king, he, he, he went and took back the Ark and brought it back into the people of God, the Ark being another representation of the Lord's presence. But David sought it and brought it back to the city. And do you remember his response then? Do you remember what he did? He danced. And they just dance. They just dance like a little slow little thing or, you know, just a little waltz. No. I don't know how much clothes he had on, but it's, according to Scripture, he didn't have much. He danced nearly nude in the streets because the Lord God had returned to the presence of the people. In the brokenness and the sin and the tragedy of the body of people that had sinned against the Lord, the Lord had now returned. He had forgiven them and was now entering back into their presence. And so too in our confession, we acknowledge our brokenness and our sin. And and, and through Jesus' sacrifice, we recognize that He's returned into our presence. He's in us and lives in us and is with us and promises to never leave or forsake us. And what is our response? Being taken from the pit of death of brokenness and sin? Do we sit in our hands and say, gee, thanks? No, we dance and we praise and it's a daring act of praise for this grace, for this mercy, for this is what the Lord Jesus has done for us in His life, death, and resurrection. This is a daring act of praise for what He's done for us. They dance because they look forward to the sacrifice. They look forward to the ongoing and perpetual presence of the Lord with the people forever. No matter the brokenness, no matter the hurt, no matter the things done, the things not done, the things left undone, the Lord turns mourning into praise and His anger lasted for three days and His grace forever. The true sacrifice of Jesus on the cross whose blood was spilled now washes over us. It is this sacrifice that hears our cries. It is this sacrifice that was the most daring act of praise ever performed. And it is done for you, and it is done for all y'all. So just as we confess as individuals and all y'all, so too is the grace given to individuals and all y'all. It's done for all of us. And so then may we sing with our brothers and sisters from so many years ago the refrain refrain from verse 12, that my glory may sing your praise and not be silent. O Lord, my God, I will give thanks to you forever. This is a daring act of praise. Let's pray. O Lord, our God, we come to you and we recognize 
who we are and who you are. And so, Lord, stir in our hearts to give you our acts of praise, to lift our voices, to lift our bodies, to lift all of who we are to you, to acknowledge you for your grace and mercy. Lord, we give you thanks and we give you praise, both today, tomorrow, and forevermore. Amen.